0: Section thirteen of Satires and Profanities This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox. Recording by April Gonzales Satires and Profanities by James Thompson The Christian World and the Secularist eighteen seventy six. The Christian Well of the First Institute has another note on the article on some Muslim laws and beliefs. As Mr. Foote responded to the first notes on behalf of the secularist, I, as the author of the obnoxious article, which was mainly my compilation from the work of a Christian scholar and gentleman, may say a few words on my own behalf in reply to the second, which is as follows. A correspondent writes, In your notes, by the way, last week there is a painful Though not unseasonable quotation from a writer on Moslem laws and beliefs, this, as coming from a secularist, is deplorable enough. It is very much more so that the late Viscount Amberley, a son of a veteran statesman, should, in this analysis of religious belief, which might indeed more justly be termed a panegyric of all heathen beliefs and a travesty of that of Christian, have given a life description of the paradise of the Koran and should have sneeringly told us that the christian scriptures in their pictures of the heavenly life strangely overlook this enjoyment of ever virgins never growing old who ought to supply the faithful with the pleasure of love Vida volume two page two hundred this is but a specimen of the disdainful and derisive tone with which this writer who at length leaves himself stranded in a region of the drearious atheism continually speaks of that book which walt he terms the illusion of our younger days might have taught him all respect. I do not doubt that the quotation was painful to the Christian correspondent. It is always painful to our lifelong prejudices shocked by those who have never shared them, or who have attained freedom from the yoke. One may not give a few quotations from any number of the Christian world, which would be very painful to a pious Muslim. Nor do I doubt that the quotation was not unseasonable, for quotation from a secularist must always be seasonable in an influential Christian periodical. They tend to expand the Christian narrowness and show that there is much to be said in favour of other beliefs. And I admit that, like many other things coming from a secularist, it must have been deplorable enough to Christians suckled in a Bible, in his unreflecting ignorance that it is one true word of the tree and one true God. But the correspondent finds it very much deplorable that a son of a veteran statesman should agree with a secularist as if the sons of veteran statesmen were naturally expected to be sunk deeper than other persons in a prevailing superstition the correspondent who we may presume has always been thought and has never doubted that all heathen beliefs are wholly devilish and that christian belief is wholly divine thinks that viscount Amberley's book is a panegyric of the former and a travesty of the latter if the unfortunate correspondent has the courage and intelligence to enter upon real analysis of religious belief he would soon discover that he and his co-religionists have been all along travestying every form of what they call heathenism. With amusing simplicity, it is astonished that Lord Amberley gives a like description of the paradise of the Koran to that which I gave in the secularist, as if he could have been accurate in giving any other, when mine was drawn from one of the most careful and accurate of writers. The Oriental Englishman, an in this knowledge of Arabic literature and life, why in the very week following the attack on the secularists the christian world's twin sister the literary world perhaps incited thereto by its study of our vilified paper showed that it had been reading or dipping into the line by an article on her mother the queer title of a man of one book he being distinguished for three the manners and costumes of the modern egyptians and translation of arabian nights with its perilous notes and monumental arabic lexicon And the said curly name article echoed the general praise of this thoroughness and accuracy and repeated the statements of those who knew him, that he was a deeply pious man. I am not concerned with the defence of Lord Amberley, and shall therefore not follow further the correspondent's remarks on his book, save to note that a man who says that any such writer leaves himself stranded in a region of drearious atheism, proves himself by this one phrase utterly competent. To study that word or understand its subject matter and as ignorant and incapable had better confine himself to the Sunday school, the young men's Christian association, and religious tea meeting and street corner raving. It may be as well to say something on my own account in addition to the vigorous remarks of Mr. Foote, in reply to the first note of Christian Well, and vindication of the passage in Impune. And first, as to the book of Revelation, which claims to be prophetic and stands our Bible as the work of Saint John the Divine. Luther, indeed, who is not afraid to pass an independent judgment, said, I look upon the revelation as neither apostolic nor prophetic, but it is received as both by English Protestants and continually referred to them as record of a genuine and authentic vision. Where I assert, without fear of contradiction, that if they had never known it, and some missionary brought home an account of its marvels of belonging to the faith, of some Polynesian islanders, they would be filled with wonder and compassion of the monstrous superstitions of those poor heathen barbarians. Yes, Exeter Hall and the readers and the writers of the Christian world itself who would assuredly invoke help to enlighten the degraded idolaters, who believe in heaven whose God was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine, in the midst of those throne, and round about whose throne were a full beast, a lion, a calf, a man faced monster, an eagle, each with six wings and full of eyes before and behind and between which beasts never rested day nor night from saying holy 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 lord god almighty and which moreover worship a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes a figment more extravagant than the many-headed and many-armed idols of india and so with the other enormities of the apocalypse our civilized gentlemen of the christian world can only believe that they believe these things because hollowed associations and unreflecting fate blind their judgment to the obvious absurdity of the imagery and the conspicuous non-fulfillment of the prophecy, which again and again claims to announce events then at hand to come quickly. In the next place, I observe that the everlasting, monotonous singing of the praise of the Lamb, the interminable, senseless routine, is not a bit more spiritual, while infinitely less alluring than the occupations of the Mohammedan paradise if it be answered that enlightened christians have nobler ideas of heaven i reply that such anticipations are not warranted by the new testament and magnanimous muslims have also nobler anticipations of paradise for which it is warrant of the Quran. and while on the subject of spirituality i may remark that the pure monotheism of the muslim and jew is immensely more spiritual as well as more rational which not only defies a man but juggles with a so-called mystery that cannot be expressed in words without self-contradiction cannot be conceived in thought, and by the confession of its own apologies defies reason as to the hysterical buffoonery i have yet to learn that there is anything hysterical in the jolly burst of revelation laughter and as to poor hollow mockery i can assure that the writer in the christian world that the mockery was quite rich sound and genuine in relation to the apocalypse of his idolized book and a popular Protestant Moody and Sankey heaven. By the by, can anyone inform us whether Mr. Sankey is really a Jew, and not a Christian Jew, as I have heard positively asserted in Hebrew authority? As to the blasphemous irreverence, and the horrible and blasphemous invocation, I deny the possibility of blasphemy, where there is no belief. A man may blaspheme that which he accounts worthy of reverence, because in speaking evil of it he violates his own convictions and holiest feelings. But if for me there is no God, how can I blaspheme him? Speaking contemptuously of him, I condemn nothing. If the writer in the Christian world were accused of blasphemy for reviling Jupiter and Venus, Brahma and Vishnu, Baal and Moloch, the goddess of reason and mumbo-jumbo, he would reply, I cannot blaspheme false gods. Meaning simply gods in whom he has no faith. Just so. I say that I cannot blaspheme the trinity and unity of the Christian, which to me is non-existent, absurd, impossible. It would be well for the writers and readers of the Christian world to ponder these things. End of section thirteen. Recording by April Gonzales. Cavita, Philippines.